Hey, thanks for listening to our podcast. If you want to listen live in the central Indiana area, you can hear us on 93.5 FM and 107.5 FM. The Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline, the morning show. Kevin and Query, weekday morning, 7 until 10 a.m. Kevin Bowen joins us. So it's it's well past now. I brought you back in with the Tina Turner Classic, One of the Living from Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome in honor of Max. Look at that. Yeah. I know. Never, you don't you don't get this you don't get this amazed. stuff everywhere here. You don't get it everywhere. No. I mean that's the reason why, like you said, people are clamoring for serious for you on Saturday night. Oh my so. god. You imagined the rear end ripper that I would cause around this nation <laughs> on a Saturday night. <laughs> they are so not ready for that. So yes. Yeah. One yeah. of a kind. That'd be simulcasted everywhere. Well, wait a minute. I can see radio nerds going right now. Program directors are going, wait, he's playing Metallica at eight twenty five. Wait a minute. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. <laughs> That's too hard. <laughs> nerds. <laughs> Hey, I do want to ask you this. Kevin Bowen was out of practice a little bit earlier today. And I know that it's a small sample size that we saw on Thursday night, but it did look like when Danny Pinter was in there, things started executing better. Is it too small of a sample size to at all suggest that he should be the starter over Ryan Kelly right now? Because that's how I feel. I just want to make sure that there's a little bit of fairness in it because I know that not only us, but certainly the Colts, given what they did last week to retool the offensive line in a short week on the fly, they're kind of grasping at straws as well. Are we grasping at straws or is that a legitimate change that should be looked upon? Yeah, it should be. I, I, I think it should be. Um, I think there needs to be a pretty honest conversation. I think there needs to be a conversation where Ryan Kelly's tenure on this roster, his financial commitment um, needs to be put to the side and having that conversation. It's a question I asked Frank Reich to end today's press conference, and he had said that that has not been discussed. And may try to do in the caveat there of when Kelly is healthy, because right now um, – he did not practice today, uh, was off doing some jogging off to the side. Obviously, we saw him leave that game in Denver a little bit early with a hip injury. And, and you know, I think part of the reason why you've seen a regression in his play, John, is due to these just continued just kind of nicks and bruises really through the better part of his NFL career. And I think in particular um, in the past couple of years, I, I just think over time you've seen a guy show up on the injury report Every other week, miss a Wednesday here, sometimes miss a Wednesday and Thursday. And I think, you know, as he's reached the age of, and he's got to be close to 30 years old, um, he might be suiting up, you know, virtually every week. But I think some of that just kind of wears on you. And, you know, when you hear Kirk Herbstreit on Thursday, be like, you know, Pro Bowl center Ryan Kelly, one of the best in the league. I, I'm like, ah, I, don't, I, I don't feel that. And so I think that's why, that's part of the reason why you had that conversation. The other part is, is the Pinter side of it. Um, you know, you drafted him in the fifth round, which I, I, I think is a somewhat notable round for an interior offensive lineman. And the Colts, more than really anybody else, have made it clear over the years that Pinter's been in the league that they feel like he has got potential at center more than guard. Now, he obviously started at guard, and that did not work out this season. But they really feel like center is a little bit of a different story. So uh, I thought it was a question that deserved to be asked. Again, Frank said that they something they have not thought about so i think as of wednesday afternoon we can probably pencil in 
three of the five offensive line starters for Sunday and um, probably have a decent idea what the right side is. One of the reasons why I'm trying to justify it is because it was a small sample size that we saw on Thursday night. And it's also because Danny Pinter, you know, fair or not, it's a different position, but he did get benched, you know, earlier in the season uh, at right guard. So I think right now, to me, you justified Kev because clearly, as I mentioned earlier, they're grasping for straws, making those major changes in the short week as they did. They don't have any answers right now. And I have said this, if this offensive line does not play at a much, much higher level, this team has no chance. They are so fortunate to be where they are right now, considering what has gone right compared to what has gone wrong they have to fix it, and it's up to those guys that play, to those guys that get paid heavy dollars to be the difference makers here. You know, not even so much the guys like Danny Pinter or Will Fries or whomever else. It's up to those guys. If they continue to kind of wallow in that lower level of play, this team, and not just the offense, has no chance. Uh, I, I would agree. I think something that is a little bit concerning, too, about the O-line is, John, we're October 12th and not a single offensive lineman of your starting group has missed a game yet due to injury. You know, it's not like you've been dealt Quentin Nelson out for three weeks, Braden Smith out for a month. You know, you, you felt some of that last season. So I think what happens when that inevitable offensive line attrition starts to hit that unit. Now, again, Kelly's a little banged up right now. We did see Bernard Ryman miss some time in September, but he wasn't a starter at that point. Uh, I think that is something that kind of adds to it. And I just think in general, when you talk about the highest paid guys, when you talk about Kelly, when you talk about, um, you know, Smith, when you talk about Nelson, I think all three of them starting to suffer some injuries. I mean, Quentin Nelson had three surgeries in a year last all, not this past offseason, but the offseason prior to that. I mean, that's significant for anybody, let alone a guy you know, north of 300 pounds. Braden Smith had his first, you know, kind of real dose of injuries last season and playing through that. Again, Kelly, as he reaches the age of 30, it, it continues to pile up for him. So I think that is what kind of adds to it. But, I mean, right now it's Bernard Ryman at left tackle. Um, it, it's going to be Nelson at left guard. It's going to be Kelly at center if healthy. And then the right side, as wild as it sounds, part of me thinks Braden Smith at right guard and Matt Pryor at right yeah, tackle. Yeah, yeah, me too. I'm right there with you on that. Yes. Is going to be the move Sunday because yeah. if you're going to do something as crazy as they did last Thursday, which was absolutely crazy what they did, you have to think they said to themselves, if we're going to commit to it on a short week with no practice on the road, we're committing to it for multiple weeks. Because, you know, again, if you're going to do it without any practice time, you're certainly going to want to do it with a little bit more practice time, and in the back of their minds, did they say to themselves, let's do it here, we'll live with kind of obvious growing pains that we saw on Thursday night, but the games that really, really matter, I mean, they all matter when you have the record the Colts do, but the games of even more importance are this Sunday with Jacksonville and at Tennessee next Sunday. So Kevin Bowen, Morning Show, Kevin and Query, weekday mornings right here, 7 until 10 a.m. here on 93.5107.5, the fans on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Potline. I'll, I'll double back to that in a minute because I completely agree regarding Pryor. And I talked about this yesterday, Pryor and, and Smith and going back to that and just, I guess, letting Ryman be Ryman. By the way, Ryman was somewhere caught between a nightmare and wanting to vomit on national TV. 
um, or I should say on Amazon TV and then on national TV here locally on, on Thursday night. Did you catch that? When they got those shots after those penalty flags were thrown inside his helmet, you thought, all right, he's somewhere between nightmare and puking right here. Yeah, that's probably a good way to describe it. And I did think they gave him kind of a quick whistle a couple times. You know, one of those holding penalties, I thought Ryan just kind of got out of the pocket and Ryan didn't exactly know where he was. So um, this was part of the Bernard Ryman experience, though. I mean, when you draft a guy from Central Michigan when he's only played tackle for two years, he's only played football for, you know, what, probably five or six years. But the fact that, again, he has only played that position for a couple of years if and when you're going to turn to him, you had to have expected some of this. I find it odd, and I went back and double-checked this, John. I went back and looked at, you know, when they made the changes during training camp to the O-line because there weren't many at all. And it was day 14, so they waited till the fifth and final week at Grand Park before we saw the first different-looking offensive line combination of camp. Uh, that is quite a long time deep into camp before they made changes. You had already gotten through the joint practices with the Lions. You had already played two of your three preseason games. So at that point, when you make those changes, those true evaluations, it's only a couple more training camp practices. There's no more joint practices. It's one preseason game left with Tampa. At that point, you know, it's kind of hard to get, you know, as accurate of an evaluation as if you would have experimented a little bit earlier in camp and, and there I'm talking about mainly with Pryor and with Penter. I, I think about this all the time too. Yeah. Going back and I forget when this happened. Maybe it was the, the same time he kind of laughed at you for the wide receiver thing. You know, I constantly brought up looking into moving Nelson to left tackle and he, and he actually laughed about that once. I'm curious your thoughts on this. Uh, be completely neutral, and it's cool however you answer. You know that. What's more laughable, my thought of moving Nelson to left tackle or his thought that Matt Pryor was going to be any type of solution this season to left tackle? Uh, I would go with the the Pryor because Matt what? Pryor himself laughed at that idea. <laughs> like, <laughs> when, when, when the player you're asking to move to that position initially laughs, yeah. Uh, th- that that would be everything I need to see to say, oh wow. Um, well, thanks for the honesty, Matt. We'll go back and reevaluate things. Um, that's, 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 that's essentially that's kind of like me if they come up to me and said, "Hey, we're going to cast you as the lead in this porno movie." Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> that is maybe the best analogy. Jake Query would dream of analogies. Yeah, know it. Like that. Uh, he's he's at home. Yeah. He's he's very aroused with that analogy somewhere right now, <laughs> taking a nap. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, sports arousal for you, radio arousal <laughs> for Jake Query right now in his apartment. Um, yeah, I uh, it, it's prior, and honestly, the left tackle thing. It, it, and you and I have had this discussion. It goes back several years. I mean, as soon as Anthony Costanzo flirts with retirement. That, to me, is the immediate red flag of how do you pass the torch? How do you start to groom that next left tackle? And they've ignored it. And, again, that's a position that Ballard holds in high regard. It's not wide receiver. It's offensive line, which he talks about a whole, whole lot. So, um, yeah, I, <laughs> the whole Matt Pryor thing. I mean, it's not like he played left tackle at TCU. It's not like he had been there in Philly. He had primarily played on the right side of the line of scrimmage. You asked him to drop weight in the offseason. 
You asked him to totally shift his body in terms of you know, he did a lot of boxing training to get used to kind of flipping his hips to the left side. It, it's I guarantee you if you asked NFL teams what the Colts did with Matt Pryor at left tackle, they would wholeheartedly agree with you. It's one of the wilder things they've seen yeah. for a team and an organization that is so public in wanting to build through the trenches. I just I, I constantly find that hilarious considering how he laughed. And that was the final time. There was like, like a final time that that whole Nelson thing was brought up and he you know, he laughed about it. And then I had to hear from everybody that he was laughing about it and I thought, well, you know, uh, it's probably a better idea than the one you came up with in reality right there. <laughs> well, yeah, I would certainly uh say that is the case based off what we've seen here through the first 5 games. It was yeah, I I um I did not not understand the prior thing. I think when I saw the prior thing, I thought to myself, okay, you know, they're going to draft a tackle, yeah. you know, relatively early. And, you know, when they drafted Ryman, I mean, not for a second. I remember having this conversation with some people in the offseason. Third-round rookies do not start at left tackle. They do not start at left tackle from, from day one. So even, like, you know, committing to, pri- or committing to uh, Ryman out of camp, that would have been rather unheard of in the NFL. And I also think there's a bit of a stubbornness, and I get that it's a tough balance, but I think there's a bit of a stubbornness you see in games to help out that left tackle. Like, I'm thinking when Costanza was banged up uh, with Reich calling the plays, it was surprising to me how they left the Julian Davenports of the world on an island as much as they did. I think we saw that with Ryman a good amount the other night. And, again, I say it's a tough balance because – when you are void some playmakers, you obviously want those guys out on route trees and you don't want to keep a tight end or a running back end to chip, you know, every single play. But at some point, if you don't help out that tackle, then any sort of passing play that you have tried to draw up is not going to work. Hey, Kev, in week two, the inside pass rush where, you know, oftentimes nobody was touched getting to Matt Ryan was huge. For Jacksonville, when they were running the stunts and those twists that seemingly always confuse this Colts offensive line, and really that's nothing new. Do you think we're going to see more of that coming up on Sunday? Because they have the capability of coming hard off the edge, which will give this offensive line the way that it is right now, tremendous issues and problems. But, you know, we saw it differently as they came up the middle on those stunts in week number two. What do you think we're going to see more of from a defensive standpoint on Sunday? Yeah, I mean, Jacksonville has individual talent, but like you said, in that week, too, it was not just Josh Allen, you know, getting after the quarterback as much as he did. It was stunts, it was miscommunication. I think one of the Allen stunts, if I, or one of the Allen sacks, if I remember, was him stunting, you know, from his spot opposite Matt Pryor right up the middle, and Matt Ryan didn't have a chance. Um, and 11 hits and five sacks, I mean, those are huge numbers. Now, I do think, good news for the Colts, you know, the fact that you will have Michael Pittman and Alec Pierce in this matchup and you didn't have them in week two, that should greatly enhance your ability not to necessarily have to see Jacksonville loading the box as much as they did to stop Jonathan Taylor. And then you get behind the chains because yeah. you're four on first and second down. And now you're in obvious passing situations. And we obviously saw what, what happened. So I think that is a a, a big personnel difference from the first meeting that you should have. I know it's not directly O-line, D-line but that should help your, your offense. I found Frank Reich's answer today about moving Braden Smith, the right guard, a bit interesting um, in that he really wanted to try and firm up the interior of the pocket 
and he wanted to try and improve the interior of that offensive line from a run game standpoint. And I think you can make the argument, maybe week one would be different. You can make the argument the best run success the Colts have had all season was on Thursday night. Yeah. And, yeah. again, yep. did moving Braden Smith inside help that? Um, now, firming up the center of the pocket, I felt like most of the stuff was a little bit more edge on Thursday. Um, I mean, do you really need to have Nelson, you know, Kelly and Smith in the interior? It just seems like, man, you are really committing a whole lot in there. But maybe as a 37-year-old quarterback, you say, we we need the interior of the pocket a little bit firmer. Um, And, and again, that goes back to my earlier point of, do they keep this offensive line group the same, which would mean leaving Matt Pryor at at right tackle. I would probably move Braden Smith out there and, and put Pryor at right guard. Uh, but that's me, and I'm not sure if they are going to follow suit with that. Do you base your decision upon the availability of Jonathan Taylor? Because I could also argue that on Thursday night, maybe you know, once Jonathan Taylor is ruled out, you know, all of a sudden the focus that you have on being worried about that probably falls off to a level reasonable to what we had witnessed. I mean, even with what we saw with that production, you know, from the couple of backups, whether it was Jackson um, or, or Lindsey, props to them it's not the same and certainly the same focus probably wasn't there yeah that's a good point um and and i you know do you do you talk to taylor do you talk to ryan you know are you asking them what do you guys want do you guys right. want a little bit better out on the edge do you want a little bit more sound in the interior because that seems to be what you're doing with Braden smith i mean again reich made it very clear today this is not a we feel like Braden Smith is playing subpar at right tackle and we can upgrade him at right tackle. This is more about securing that central part of the pocket there. Uh, but I did think both Deion Jackson and Philip Lindsay, and we should note today Philip Lindsay did not practice. So if Jonathan Taylor is going to be out this week, Taylor's doing some kind of light jogging off to the side, you know, then it would be Deion Jackson, Naheem Hines in all likelihood coming up. But I, I still think we're early in the week. Um, to to go there, um, but that is something that I felt like from a run game standpoint, um, it was probably the best you've looked since, since week one. Kevin Bowen joins us. I was screaming about this at the half on Thursday night, and I don't even know how reasonable this is. And, and Stephen Holder kind of shot this down when I presented this to him on Monday. I, I wanted to see them go if they had any of that in the playbook and the arsenal whatsoever. Quicker rhythm. You know, shorter pass plays, screens, more of a screen game, any kind of screen game like that, considering the level of pass protection they were getting. Um, are, are they slow to jump to that because they believe in the offensive line or their belief is that Matt Ryan is not good at that? Is that at all conceivably in their option or their arsenal, I should say, as an option moving forward? Yeah, I, I think a part of it is that is not necessarily Ryan's bread and butter, but I, I feel like and Matt Ryan said something today that I thought was just totally spot on about, you know, you've got to stay out of these third and longs and you've got to start winning first and second down at a better rate. And, you know, do you find some sort of quicker rhythm passing game? Now, again, I'm not sure that you outside Alec Pierce, I really don't know if anyone from a wideout standpoint truly threatens a defense deep to where teams say, Hey, we can't challenge that guy at the line of scrimmage because, if there's one pump and go, or if yeah. there's one, you know, he all of a sudden curls and Matt Ryan pump fakes and he's gone, then that's a 30, 40 yard gain. I don't think the Colts have proven that on film. 
even the balls. Well, well, he didn't have time to do any of that. I mean, the, that means the protection would have to be there and develop a pocket. He doesn't have time to do that at all. That's not even sure. an option right now. Yeah, that, that's cer- certainly a good point. Um, I just I, I feel like you have got to stay on schedule, and I know that sounds very like clo- coaching cliche, but if I'm not mistaken, I think the first four third downs against Denver were like third and 12, third and 15, third and eight, third and seven. I mean, you do that on the road, you do that against a good defensive line, it's game over, especially with how broken you are up front right now. And again, when you're struggling to run it, that obviously gets away from it. I felt like something against Tennessee and how they got back in the game, I'm sure some of this had to do just with the score and how Tennessee decided to defend you after that. But I felt like in that game, they passed to get back in the game. Uh, in particular, the tight ends were really, really important in getting back into it. So, I mean, do you pass to set up the run? I mean, I go again, that goes yeah. against what I think so much of what they are about. But I think, can you find a little quicker rhythm? Is that some stuff that you can do? I mean, like, you know, is Paris Campbell on a screen and he now makes, you know, four or five yards and now it's second and six, second and five? Michael Pittman at 220 pounds breaks an initial tackle and there's five or six yards. Again, you protect Ryan, you protect your line a bit, and now you stay on schedule and you open up more of the playbook and you stay away from you know, Jacksonville absolutely pinning their ears back. Um, and Denver is up there certainly as a total defense. But, I mean, you look at Jacksonville. I mean, John, they are a really good defense. They across are. The board. Yep, they are. They are a legit top ten unit in virtually every category. And that, I think, is what adds to the frustration. I mean, you're in this current drought, seven straight games, of 20 points or less, which ties the longest mark for this franchise since 1993. It's been historically bad. And yet outside of really Denver, you haven't played many great defenses at all in this stretch. And again, even Denver, you know, they were missing their best pass rusher and Randy Gregory the other night. Jacksonville, I think, has proven through the first five games that they would certainly qualify as a good defense in this stretch. I think that's what kind of worries you. It's like, man, you haven't been able to score against bad defenses. What's it going to look like against good defenses? No, I'm with you on that. I just, it just, I I don't know about anybody else. I'm kind of at a point right now where, and I hate this cliche and I end up using it. It it kind of is what it is and you have to adjust and adapt to what it is and what they have pass play wise drawn up is not workable with the type of pass protection that we have seen. And you have to adjust to that. So I, I thought maybe there were a couple of pass plays in that final drive that, that maybe hit the mark with me. But I, unless this drastically improves, I would think you would have to probably try to call upon that somehow, some way, even if that's not the forte of the quarterback. Uh, I, I would assume the forte of the quarterback is also not fumbling 11 times and throwing a seven interceptions so far in the season either. So something has to be done, right? You would think. And, and that last part, John, I mean, think about that. I mean, Matt Ryan, 15-year veteran, is literally handing the ball. His ball security is like my two-and-a-half-year-old daughter in the pocket. I mean, it is it is incredible it is. watching him cough up the football or the interceptions in particular on Thursday. I mean, that was just – I mean, that stuff, if you threw Sam Ellinger out there tomorrow, you would expect yeah. from a first-time no starter or a guy in Ellinger who's never thrown a pass in the NFL, not a guy like Ryan. And that's where you can look at it two ways talking to Stephen Holder about this earlier today glass half full can say that's so abnormal for Matt Ryan he's going to snap out of that you know 37 years 
37 years old, 15-year vet, et cetera, et cetera. Or the other glass would say, well, maybe this is just who he is at this point because father time is starting to catch up. And more than anything, he he knows he's playing behind a broken offensive line, and that's impacting decision-making. That is speeding up his mind a little bit. That is not allowing him to process how he wants to. It's a little jittery. It's a little bit just, just not totally confident in what he's seen and what he feels. And maybe that is contributing it to some of it as well. All right. Kev's got you along with Jake Query coming up in the morning, 7 until 10 a.m. It's the Kevin and Query morning show right here on the fan. And Kev's via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Potline. I'll talk to you coming up on Sunday morning with the uh, ride to kickoff a little bit after 9. And we'll dive more deeply into who's playing, who's not playing, and uh, how this matchup looks coming up on Sunday morning in just a vital matchup, to say the least. Kev, I appreciate you. Yep, thank you, John. Kevin Bowen in the morning show. Kevin and Query right there. Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline from ESPN.com. Our friend Duraco is here. I led you in with some classic Skinner, as I normally do, and that smell. Uh, are we getting a familiar stench setting in within the AFC South in that level of play right now? <laughs> the last two weeks have not been very good. Right. Uh, it has smelled a little poopy around here in Jacksonville, especially last week's loss uh, to the Texans at home, which – certainly falls in that inexcusable category, to be honest with you. I know the Jags aren't a spectacular team, and I know that they're not, you know, an upper echelon team or what have you, but they should be beyond playing like that at home and losing like that to a team like the Texans at home. That was just a, that was a bad loss. There's no other way to look at it. All right, so what uh, what was really stanky around that team? Was it just everything? All in a big stankity ball there? Kind of like what you watched on Thursday night with the Colts and the Broncos, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I didn't think I could watch a game that was worse than that, and then came Sunday, so I feel really lucky to have been able to watch both of those. <laughs> um, but, I mean, it, like Trevor Lawrence didn't play very well at all. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and the defense, you look at it and they go, they gave up 13 points. That should be good enough to win, and it is. Um but, you know, they, they couldn't get off the field on the the touchdown drive. They had a third and 20, and Trayvon Walker, the number one overall pick, jumps offside. And then to compound that, he decides he's going to take Davis Mills and toss him over his shoulder and gets a 15-yard penalty. And boom, that keeps the drive alive. And they still couldn't get off the field because that was around midfield. Um, and then Damian Pierce breaks like 17 tackles uh, on a run down inside the five-yard line. So it was, you know, there were breakdowns in most um, areas there. Um, but really, I think the thing that people were most disappointed with down here was Trevor Lawrence's end zone interception right there at the uh, beginning of the third quarter. You know, it's 6-6 six, six at half. They come out. The offense is really humming. They drive all the way down the field. Um, and I think it's second and one inside the five. Um, he rolls to his right. You know, if he decides to just run a few more steps, he can go ahead and get that first down and then boom, live, you know, first and goal inside the five. And he throws a pass that was just a terrible decision and, and Stingley picks it off. And, and that was pretty much it um, for the Jags at that point. They weren't able to recover from that. So just bad plays here and there all around. Um, and it was just, uh, I mean, that's not a good Houston team. I mean, it, it, no. I mean, you look at that, there's no play. There's no star players on that team. And yet somehow Davis Mills is two and zero against the Jaguars in his career. Well, there's a, there's a tie hanging around the neck of this squad here, Mike. So 
Um, better, but uh, not not that much better. Mike Duraco of ESPN.com is with us. So we often think about just the the absolute mastery the Jags have had in Jacksonville over the Colts, which obviously we saw in week number two. We saw it at the end of the season a year ago when everything was on the line for the Colts. But what we tend to forget is how the Colts back in week 10 a year ago here had to survive against Jacksonville. So it's not really just Jacksonville playing extremely well against the Colts in Jacksonville, but we saw it without a a defensive stand-up here or there in that game back in November of a year ago. Things could have gone haywire then, too. Yeah, that was one of the better games they actually played, one of the better games they played on the road, I should say, um, last year, which was I think Jamal Agnew had a a long touchdown run on an end-around in that game, if my memory serves me. Um, but I think he got hurt later on in that game, or maybe it was the following week. I've kind of blacked out most of 2021, if you can understand. Um, well, you're too busy writing the uh, Urban Meyer yeah. stories, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, so <I> <laughs> you had to cover that. Most of that out. Yeah, I don't even know if, like where I lived last year was that <laughs> bad. Um, but uh, yeah, they've played pretty well against the Colts recently, and and you know, look, there's no doubt that the Colts are stinging from that loss down here a few weeks ago, and this is not going to be a, a team that. It won't be the same team because, you know, um, who was it? Michael Pittman didn't play in that game and Pierce didn't play in that game, right, um, in Jacksonville. So it's a different look um, that they'll get. And, you know, Ben Bartz, the left guard, starting left guard, has gone for the season here. So it's a little bit different here. Um, you know, I'm not sure what the status of Jonathan Taylor is going to be. Uh, obviously, that'll obviously get cleared up a little bit more in the week. But, I mean, I, I don't think that if anyone thinks the Jags are going to come in there and, and – just kind of win this game pretty easily, I think they'll be mistaken. I think it's going to be a tough game for this team. They, they, they were talking in the locker room today. They know they blew an opportunity. Um, you know, had a chance to beat the Texans. You yeah. could go up 2-0 in the division. Then if you go up to Indy and you play well and you win that, you're 3-0 in the division, and now you're the early team in control. So the only way to bounce back from last week is to go up there and play well. But, you know, I, it, it's it, this team is young. It's inexperienced. They do have some veteran guys, but when you got a young quarterback like that, everybody's in the system for the first year. Um, you know, you just don't know what you're going to get. It's going to be up and down, and that's what we saw out of this team. And you know, I'm probably going along too much in this question, but the biggest problem for this franchise right now or this team right now is that they went out to LA and beat the crap out of the Chargers. Um, if you had told Jaguar fans after five games they'll be two and three, you didn't tell them who they won, they would take that in a heartbeat. But this team goes out there and beats the crap out of the Chargers, even though they didn't have Keenan Allen. They lost Boza. Um, they lost their left tackle during the game. But they put a 28-point whooping on the West Coast. So that all of a sudden changed the expectations for people around here on that team. And it was probably – it definitely was a little bit over the top. You know, it's an inconsistent team, and they're really a six- or a seven-win team. And, you know, that's how you should kind of look at them. And two and three after the first five games would have been fantastic if you told everybody that's where they would be, um, you know, at this point, if you told them before the season. It's Mike Duraco of ESPN.com covers the Jaguars and the AFC South. He's with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Uh, we had talked about this the first couple of weeks of Christian Kirk was was outstanding. You maybe even go the first three weeks or so, right, was outstanding. And the last couple, not so much. Is that a product of the overall offense, a product of the lack of quarterback play, or on the shoulders of the big free agent wide receiver signing? 
Um, I think there's a little bit um, to a little to, to all of it, to be honest with you. But I know that um, you know there are plays where he was open because when you know I've, I've sitting in the press box, you can see it that he's open, and Trevor decided to go elsewhere. Um, Trevor also has a tendency to get impatient. And, you know, what that Lovey Smith defense is going to do is it's going to make you try and be patient as a quarterback. Uh, a lot like with the Gus Bradley defense there where, you know, the, the smart play is to take the, the shorter routes, the check downs, the safer throws. Um, you know, obviously, uh, you know, Kirk coming across the middle with a linebacker matched up on him is probably not the ideal thing. But if you have that and you're the Jags, you take advantage of that. But Trevor didn't do that this last week. Uh, the week before, the conditions were terrible, um, you know, up there in Philadelphia. But, you know, I think he only got targeted three times. So it's uh, it's a problem that, the, you know, they have to fix because I think the offense flows much better when it kind of runs through him a little bit. So we'll see what they do this week to kind of compensate. Um, you know, I think the good thing, if you're the Jags, is like you know what you're going to get out of a Gus Bradley defense. I mean, they kind of just do what they do. You know, maybe there will be a few more wrinkles put in. Maybe they'll blitz a little bit more. But for the most part, you kind of know what you're going to get. Uh, and that should be something that should get him rolling again, especially if they can get him in the middle of the field, um, you know, matched up against, a, you know, a linebacker or a safety. So this defense of Jacksonville, I mean, extremely got after Matt Ryan, which has been the Colts' offensive issue all season long. I mean, everybody's gotten after him. But we saw that in terms of not even so much they could if they wanted to come off the edge, but there were a lot of – I've explained this to the listeners, a lot of twists and stunts where they got free going up the middle. They blitz going up the middle, oftentimes untouched. So my question is, will they do a lot more of what we saw work so well and efficiently for them in week number two defensively up here Sunday? I think so, especially just to test it out, to see what kind of adjustments the Colts have made. And if they haven't made the adjustments or they haven't or you aren't able to kind of pick it up and it's still giving them problems, then I think you'll see a lot more of that. If they do kind of pick it up and handle it, then, you know, there'll be some adjustments that the Jags will make. But I expect them to go at it early. You know, when, you, when you've got a quarterback and, 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 and a guy like Matt Ryan, who is not the running athletic guy that gets out of the pocket quarterback, the best thing you can do is get pressure right up in his face. And that's what they're going to try and do. They, they did it, like you said, in that uh, week, uh, was that that week two victory? Yep. So I expect them to kind of, like I said, test it early and then kind of go from there and see if, uh, if you know, the Colts have done anything to adjust. I saw what Doug Peterson mentioned, we have to stay disciplined. What, what did that mean in, in terms of the question that he was asked there? Uh, I'm trying to remember. I think it was more, he was talking about, I believe, the overall discipline in terms of, you know, hey, against the run, we need to stay in our gaps. We need to do the job that we're supposed to do and not get out of position. Um, you know, it's one thing to get moved out of position, but it's another thing to kind of take yourself out of position because you're trying to freelance or you're trying to do too much. Um, you know, offensively, they disciplined in terms of, you know, look, understand that just because you can make a throw doesn't mean you should make a throw. Uh, take the smart play. Make them, you know, take what the defense gives you. Uh, make a play when it's presented to you. Just, just don't try and score 14 points on one play. Uh, you know, I think that that's when you get a young team like this has and, and most of, um, you know, the Jags are, it is a pretty young team. You get guys that are impatient. You get guys that want to make big plays and you get team guys that somehow get out of position because they're not following what they're supposed to do. And I think that's the key. When they, they won those two games, they beat the Colts and the Chargers. 
everybody kind of was disciplined. They did what they were supposed to do. Trevor took the smart throw, the short throw, um, threw it downfield when he felt like he, you know, had a really good matchup. That's the kind of stuff. Just follow the game plan offensively and defensively. Don't try and do too much. And, And if you can do that, they think, then they've got a chance to be competitive with pretty much anybody. All right. Mike Duraco joins us, too. You got, I believe, the Colts, if memory serves, obviously Sunday, uh, and then the Giants, and then it's off to London. So London here in a couple of weeks to end the month of October for the Jags? Yes. Yeah. yeah, they play the Broncos in London, yes. All right. So, I mean, it, you look at it this way. I mean, you get a chance to get up off the mat, which I'm assuming that, that maybe a lot of folks got pretty high about what happened, as you mentioned, against the Chargers, and then since that point in time kind of been put back in their place. What do you expect, if at all, anything differently from what we saw in week number two? We'll start offensively because really they did a lot of what they wanted across the board on the field. But any changes by virtue of these last two games that they've lost compared to what we saw in week two and what was a 24 nothing blanking of the Colts anything different you expect um I think they're going to try and run it a little bit more um on the edges uh they didn't have a lot of success running the ball against the Colts um you know their per carry uh, per carry average is pretty low I want to say it was under three um but you know just kind of get some shorter, quick throws for, for Trevor Lawrence, too, to kind of get him going. He has a tendency to, to be um, a little erratic at first, and he kind of has to settle into the game. So, you know, they're going to try and attack the edges a little bit. Uh, I think we'll see a lot more of uh, Travis Etienne early than maybe we uh, did uh, in week two. And, you know, get Lawrence in a rhythm. I mean, the kid's a rhythm passer, and let's – find a way to get him two or three or four connections that are really easy throws, stuff he doesn't even have to really think about just to kind of get him settled in. Um, But, yeah, I don't expect much different. Like, I don't expect them to be taking a ton of shots down the field or anything like that, but I think that will be, you know, what they'll do to kind of get him going. All right. I'd like to ask you this, too. What's your overall assessment of what we've seen now fully in depth in October with the AFC South? Well, um, it's not a surprise to me that the Titans have rallied. Um, that's a, they're a good team. Mike Vrabel's a good coach, and they always seem to respond. I mean, how many times in the last couple of years have we thought, ooh, the Titans, ooh, that doesn't look good. That's a bad loss. And yet they somehow respond, and there they are in the, sitting atop the division at the end of the year. So, um, you know, I think the last time we talked, uh, I was not high on the Titans, but after seeing what they've done, um, you know, I've kind of changed a little bit, obviously, and I kind of think that they're the favorites in the division right now. I haven't really liked what I've seen out of Matt Ryan and, and the Colts, obviously. Um, and if you're the Jags, you've got to be sitting there going, I can't believe that we lost to the Texans. But, you know, if the Texans can play sound, mistake-free football, which they did against the Jags, then they're going to be a tough out. So um, a little bit has changed about my, you know, feeling about the AFC South, but I think the Titans – you know, the last thing anybody in this division wanted to see was them start to rebound, and that's what they've done. Hey, you know, Mike, I explained this because I always felt that Jim Irsay here was somewhat smitten, um, jealous of of the success of the Titans in the past two years especially. And to go along with that, kind of jealous of the way that they play because that is a lot of the way that they expect to play here and with that level of toughness. And that's what you've seen to me. And I know that this is kind of just the blanket, well, this is just, you know, what you think about this, this Tennessee team. But they they just get through tough situations better than anybody else. 
in this division, and they have, and that's one of the reasons why, to me, they're just different than everybody else. And until another team can step up and and be tough to that level and deal, you know, with with a tackle going out or to deal with a defensive lineman lost at the beginning of the season, to deal with A.J. Brown getting traded, you know, back in the spring, they deal with stuff, to me, that's just better than anybody else within this division. And th- that that, to me, is what the biggest difference is. Yeah, well, that's that's their head coach. That's the definite personality of their head coach. It's a blue-collar, hard-nosed, okay, I can't do this, well, I'm going to do this. Um, it, you know, that's teams generally take on the personality of their head coach, and that's who he is. That's all who he's always been as a player, Pittsburgh, New England, you name it. A guy that just gets it done. He puts his nose down, and, and he just gets his hands dirty and gets it done. And the thing about that team is they're they're always physical. Like, even in 2017 when this Jags team – you know, won the division and went to the playoffs, they got beat both times by the Titans because the Titans were one of the only teams, in fact, were the only team that would stand up and go toe-to-toe with the Jags and punch them in the mouth every single play. And those kind of teams that do that, that that's their bread and butter, that's their identity, generally weather, um, you know, uh, adversity much better than other teams. So it's not a surprise to me to see where they are. And and again, they've had the garden variety of injury issues, questionable quarterback play issues, all of that, but they're always able to sustain. And I, I, I think you're right regarding Vrabel. There's no doubt about that. But I think that's something that is translatable throughout that locker room from player to player. They just kind of feel they have that edge on everybody else until proven otherwise. Yeah, and it helps when you if you want to be a physical team to have a guy like Derrick Henry smashing the ball down your throat every single play. Um, but yeah, they, well, we're they, supposed they, to have that here, and you know, we you know, the, this offensive line has been awful so far this year in both which, pa- in pass protection and in run blocking, which is probably a bit of a surprise. Um, obviously, I would think you know maybe they. I didn't expect them to struggle that much. Um, you know, I, I thought, you know, I think I told you guys before, I thought I liked the Colts better than anybody else in the division. Um, and I missed on that, I guess. <laughs> well, a lot of people missing right now. The amazing part about it, Mike, is 2-2-1, two, two and one, especially coming off of what was the world's awfulest game on Thursday night. People were saying, hey, can you just be positive for once? And and my point at the start of the show was this. It was when you go back to July, if I were to tell you this is all that is going to go completely haywire and not work for this Colts team, yet they're going to be 2-2-1 two, two and one and still in the thick of it, I mean, what would you think? Or if I would tell you what your record might be if everything was going to go as wrong as, as what has for the Colts so far. And, you know, most people would not believe, for example, they have two wins against the AFC West. And no win so far against the South, which is completely odd if I would have told people this was what was going to go wrong so far through five weeks of the season. Yeah, and that's why, you know, it's it's really wrong for us to draw conclusions about what we see the first two or three or four weeks of the season because things change so much. And, you know, teams are, are not who they are in October, um, in September. And – I think a little bit of it too is honestly is is they're playing in a division that's not very good. But you know, beating those two AFC West teams, I don't know. At the beginning of the year, I don't think I would not have expected the Jaguars to beat any of the AFC West teams, and yet they went out there and won one in in, in LA. So 
you know, who, who knows? Um, but I do think that, you know, the Colts still being alive in this division is, is partly because it's not a great division, but you know, there's nothing you can do about that. You can only play the teams you play. So, you know, I guess if you're a Jags, a Titan Colts, you know, Texans fan, you're just happy you don't play in the NFC West at this point. Yeah. And I mean, really, I think everybody, I, I was trying to think about what the Texans have done against the a- AFC West. If you're calling that certainly a benchmark of greatness, this season, I think they have two losses against the the AFC West, and uh, what uh, the Jaguars? What are the, Jag- the Jaguars had that impressive game against the Chargers? What else have they done against the West so far this year? That's the only team they played. In yeah. the West so so far, I mean, yeah. the, the yeah, Colts are two and zero against the West. That, that's weird. If we talked about that back in July, I guess that's beyond expectation a little. We probably would have laughed about it. Yeah. There's no, no way we would have expected that. Yeah, 100%. All right, you getting your ass up here on Sunday or what? Yeah, I should be there Saturday afternoon, 4.30, 5 o'clock. Uh, looking forward to weather in the 30s in the morning. No, I'm not. I'm just lying. <laughs> um, actually, I am looking forward to a change for a little yeah. bit. It'll be nice for a couple of days. Nah, it uh, it'll be good. We'll see what happens because there's going to be uh, a lot of dictation made as far as who comes away with this win on Sunday uh, for a good spot within that division moving forward and who's going to be even further behind the proverbial eight ball if you lose that game on Sunday. So it's a big one nonetheless. I, I sit here with without a win in the AFC South and a tie is still through three games. Amazing to me from a Colts standpoint. Still is. Yeah, and it, and it, this is a big game for the Jags. It doesn't really end their season, but man, if you're one and two in the division already, and you one of those losses is to the Texans at home, and you know you don't play the Titans well, and you know you don't win in Tennessee, uh, it's going to be a hard climb out of the cellar if if they don't win this week. Hey, Duraco, you're always clutch, man. I appreciate you up here. We'll see you on Sunday at some point in the press box. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. You got it. Mike DeRocco of ESPN.com covers the Jaguars, covers the AFC South. Andy Moore, Automotive Group Potline, Knicks in the Pacers preseason game number three later on tonight. The voice of the Pacers, Chris Denary, joins us. Is that on TV for us this evening? You got it. Oh, that's we are beautiful. on TV. I am just uh, walking into uh... The practice facility right now I may have a little bit of an echo, and I'm uh, getting okay. ready to use getting ready to use the uh, underground tunnel to go to Gamebridge Fieldhouse. The underground tunnel. It sounds like you're in a bathroom stall. Either way, it's good to me. <laughs> I will be uh, one second, John. I'm giving you a play-by-play. Okay. I, I uh, hit my card now on uh, the reader. Yeah. It went green, the door opened. Which means you're still now, employed. Excellent. And it, it is good, and now now I am good. Should be no echo. That's what happens when I pull in here to the parking garage every day. That's like, all right, it goes green, so I'm still employed. Well done. Awesome. Yeah, that, that's the good news. And, and, and uh, I don't know why they have cameras on me right now. It's DJ. There's DJ. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're, you know, they're here to see what the players are wearing. Not what the uh, 61-year-old play-by-play guy is wearing. Um, I, I'm, I'm curious, too. What, what do you expect? I know that everybody got charged up, and it seemed like a great atmosphere at the Fan Jam on Sunday, one of the better atmospheres in a while. And I know it's still a preseason game, but what, what are you expecting as far as the fan interest that you're going to see tonight? Well, I think there's a lot of interest. I mean, I, I did an event last night as well uh, here at Gamebridge Fieldhouse, and uh, a lot of excitement, you know, that – they know the direction. They the, the fans 
you know, you talk to them, they understand what the Pacers are doing. They've got a young core. Uh, they uh, extended those contracts today. If you saw that, all those young players, Halliburton and Isaiah Jackson, Duarte and Neesmith. So uh, I, I think it's just going to be fun to watch these guys, especially tonight. Um, you know, did not play as well as they would have liked on Friday in New York. And now you have a chance uh, to, to do something tonight. But you're right, going back to Sunday, um, that crowd for Fan Jam. I, I talked to a former Pacers assistant and Bulls, former Bulls head coach Jim Boylan, who's been at a lot of practices. Um, and he said, that Fan Jam crowd, he goes, I don't think we would have had anything like that in Chicago or San Antonio. So uh, that was great to see, and, and hopefully it portends for the rest of the year. All right, what, what has uh, stood out to you so far? Only two games, I don't know what great, incredible – form of reference that you have right now out of these two games, but anything stood out so far in the preseason? Yeah, I think a little bit of a small sample size, but what I've liked is uh, Duarte and Matherin putting their head down, putting the ball on the floor and getting to the basket. Uh, In the first game against Charlotte, they had 72 paint points, and in the first half, they were 20 of 20 at the free throw line. And, And so I think when you have Guys that are good free throw shooters, Duarte and Matherin are that. You need to get to the free throw line. Those are those are easier points. So I think that's been what's impressed me, John. Um, you know, just the ability to to get to the basket. And Matherin, you know, showed a little bit of that in college. But this is a little bit different because um, you know bodies are bigger, those types of things. But he's been very fearless. Uh, he's been the Pacers scoring leader in each of the first two games. He was uh, the Pacers' scoring leader during summer league, so he sort of picked up uh, picked up where he left off uh, back in July. Yeah, I mean, and again, uh, you know, hopefully this lasts for a long time. But there is a a great deal of new and fresh and interest in a lot of guys and a lot of combinations that you've never seen play together. So there, there's no doubt that's where you're going to get a lot of that initial level of interest coming up here. I think that's the key word you just used, and it's fresh. And I think that's something as they've sort of reset what they're trying to do. Um, You've got 10 players on the 18, now 19 man, because they added a two-way player, uh, Trevlin Queen, uh, yesterday. Uh, I think it's 10 players are 22 years of age or under. And if you go to 24 uh, years of age and under, it's 12 of the 19. So definitely a young team. Chad Buchanan met with our entire Pacer Sports and Entertainment staff yesterday, and he put a couple of things up on the board. He put, John, 23.9 and 25.5, and he asked, what do those numbers mean? 23.9 is the average age of the Indiana Pacers. 25.5 is the average age of their G League team, the Fort Wayne Mad Ants. The Mad Ants have an older roster than the Indiana Pacers. So uh, that, that tells you what uh, this franchise is doing, building around the core, the young players, as you said, freshness. And uh, I think that's the exciting part of the year. So Chris Daenerys got you later on tonight, the voice of the Pacers on TV. Get the Pacers and the Knicks, the matchup. They exercised team options today on Duarte, Halliburton, Neesmith, and Jackson. I want to go with, with Neesmith. Because this is kind of a wild card of, hey, if it works out, that's great. Um, And I know that you want to work out. You don't want it not to work out. But you kind of look at it as I would assume the same was viewed upon regarding Jalen Smith 
when he was brought over last year, and you saw how that worked out. How has that gone so far from your eyeballs? I think it's going well. The, the only downside is he won't play tonight and is out for a little bit. Hopefully he could be back by opening night, but he's got plantar fasciitis. He suffered that injury uh, Friday night in New York. But uh, I think if you were able to see the game last week in Charlotte, he had 16 points and a couple of threes. And to your point, you know, he was with Boston and you're behind Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. So there's not a lot of opportunity to see a lot of time, just as Jalen Smith didn't have that opportunity in Phoenix. So absolutely, John, I think he is, he is somebody that, you know, the Pacers value. He came over in the Malcolm Brogdon trade. He fits the timeline. Uh, he's a young player and uh, he did a lot of nice things. Uh, and he's played well in, in preseason and training camp. It's, you know, it's just hopeful that uh, he won't be sidelined by this injury too long. Hey, Chris, I know you got to run in just a second. I, I want to end it with this because we've had and we view kind of absolutes, things that you can absolutely expect. And with a team that is this young and this is new, I, I don't know how many there might be on the floor at any time this season, but are there any absolutes in your mind from what you're going to see either individually or team-wise from this group this year? You mean absolutes on – Yeah, things you can be... count on. Like, well, this is what yeah. you're going to see, and this is what you can count on. Because, I mean, clearly a team that is making a significant transition, there's not a lot of those absolutes. Uh, if yeah, Really, less than a handful, probably. I'm curious if one or the other may stick out to you. I think Tyrese Halliburton could be a 2010 guy. I really do. Um, he averaged 17 and almost 10 assists last year. Uh, in the 20-plus games he played for the Pacers. So um, I I feel pretty strongly about that. Um, The other thing, and I think they'll bring him along slowly as far as, you know, whether he starts or not, and that's Benedict Matherin. I mean, we just talked about, um, you know, how well he played in the summer and in the first two games. He's been very good in that second unit with T.J. McConnell. And so I would think as they bring him along slowly, they keep him in that second unit, bring him off the bench, um, I, I'm, I'm interested to see how those two guys work. I mean, if you go back to the Charlotte game, uh, that second unit was key in building a 20-plus point lead with McConnell and Matherin and Neesmith, uh, Terry Taylor, and they used Miles Turner. What they've done in the first two games, John, is Miles has been the first sub out, and then he's the first sub back in to come back in and play with the second unit. So um, that's what you use these preseason games for. Um, you know, to work on your combinations and, and, and see what your rotational patterns are going to be. And, and tonight, you know, it's just another night to do that. And then they'll also have one final uh, preseason game on Friday night, a 7 o'clock game against Houston. And, and again, both these games are on Valley Sports, so on Valley Sports Plus. And uh, we've got 84 straight. We've got these two and then the 82 in the regular season. And I'll just tell you, by the way, uh, the Pacers Plus package uh, that they put together, those six tickets, uh, which which are really good games. You right. get a subscription to Valley uh, Sports Plus. It has gone over very, very well. Uh, they are doing a really good job of selling it. People are responding. So uh, hopefully, uh, you know, people especially that don't have cable or that type of thing can take advantage of that, and you'll be able to watch uh, each and every Pacers game on Valley Sports. Hey, by the way, we asked J.J. to be on, I don't know when it was, last time, and he couldn't because he was getting a haircut. So his hair better look fantastic tonight. (laughs) 
Let me tell I you. Will, I will. I will make sure yeah. uh, to to see if I can uh, see what that that hair looks like tonight. It. I, I I was with him last night. Again, we were working this event. I didn't quite notice that. So I'll I'll make sure it is perfectly yeah. coiffed tonight for his sideline. It better look damn good tonight because we will be critiquing. All right, let him know. All right. That sounds good. All right, buddy. Have a great call. We'll do it again soon. All right. Thanks, John. It's uh, Denary right there on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline.